0: Bone Cement Implantation Syndrome, Key Concepts for Perioperative Nurses, by Cheryl B. Hines and Angela Collins-Yoder. Abstract Bone Cement Implantation Syndrome, BCIS, is a potentially fatal complication of orthopedic surgeries that use cement. The symptoms of BCIS occur primarily during femoral fracture repairs but this complication has been reported in a wide variety of cemented procedures. Clinical presentation of this syndrome begins as a cascade with hypoxia and hypotension. If it is not reversed, it ends with right-sided heart failure and cardiac arrest. This syndrome usually occurs at cementation, prosthesis insertion, joint reduction, or tourniquet deflation, and should be treated with aggressive resuscitation and supportive care. This article provides a comprehensive explanation of bone cement, the identification and management of BCIS, and the roles of the perioperative team in the event of cardiopulmonary collapse. It includes a case study that can be used as an educational tool for simulation, mock drills, or staff meetings. It may also be used as a framework for creating policies. Ten years ago, surgeons performed most knee and hip arthroplasties using a sick patient model that assumed patients would require substantial interventions after surgery during a protracted hospitalization. This perception has changed, and currently surgeons perform arthroplasties as well-patient procedures. However, as the number of aging patients with associated comorbidities who undergo these procedures increases, the outcomes include more complications and increases in length of stay. Approximately 11 million people living in the United States will have undergone hip or knee arthroplasty by 2030. Perioperative nurses have an increased chance of encountering bone cement implantation syndrome, BCIS, because bone cement is used in a wide variety of procedures, including scheduled elective hip and knee arthroplasties, emergent arthroplasties, vertebral surgeries, and shoulder arthroplasties. This article provides background information about BCIS, including signs and symptoms etiology, risk factors, and patient interventions. It also includes a discussion regarding the chemical components of bone cement and a case study that can be used for simulation, mock drills, or staff meetings. It also may be used as a framework for creating policies. Overview of BCIS Bone cement implantation syndrome is a rare, severe perioperative emergency most often experienced by patients receiving cemented arthroplasty for hip fracture. In their landmark 2009 study, Donaldson and others suggested that BCIS is characterized by hypoxia, hypotension, or both, and or unexpected loss of consciousness occurring around the time of cementation, prosthesis insertion, reduction of the joint, or occasionally, limb tourniquet deflation in a patient undergoing cemented bone surgery. They also suggested a classification system for BCIS based on the severity of symptoms. See Table 1. Olsen and others reviewed the anesthesia records of 1,016 cemented hemiarthroplasty patients as part of a retrospective study in Sweden and noticed that the overall incidence of BCIS and cemented hemiarthroplasty for femoral neck fracture in this group of patients was approximately 28%. The incidence of BCIS by grade was 21% with grade 1, .1 5.1% with grade 2, and 1.7% with grade 3. Perioperative mortality, patients who died within 48 hours of surgery, was 2%. 95% of these patients had grade 2 or grade 3 BCIS. The investigators concluded that the more severe forms of BCIS have an associated 16-fold increase in 30-day postoperative mortality. Rudder and others studied the outcomes of 180,000 hemiarthroplasties performed after femoral neck fracture between 2006 and 2012 in England and Wales and found death or serious harm occurred once every 2,900 procedures. These researchers found that 89% of the occurrences correlated with an acute deterioration of the patient's status within three minutes of cementation. They also noticed that of the patients who died because of this acute deterioration, 80%, 33 out of 41, died while in the OR. Bone Cement Basics Perioperative nurses might question the use of bone cement in orthopedic cases considering the published risks. Surgeons need to create a durable joint replacement by stabilizing the implanted prosthesis and bone cement provides the needed stability. Bone cement, or polymethylmethacrylate, PMMA, is a mortar or paste for filling crevices in and on bony surfaces and has no actual adhesive properties. Its two main components are a liquid monomer, methylmethacrylate, MMA, and a powdered copolymer. When combined, the liquid and powder polymerize to harden and form PMMA. During this polymerization, heat is produced in an exothermic reaction. The liquid monomer is usually packaged in colored glass and has stabilizers or inhibitors to prevent premature polymerization of the liquid. Numerous additives, for example, antibiotics, contrast media, silver, vitamins, have been used during arthroplasty without adversely affecting the cement's mechanical properties. The actions of the perioperative team during the curing process can affect the incidence of BCIS. It is critical for the perioperative team to follow the manufacturer's instructions to help decrease the occurrence of BCIS. Specific facility policies that address each step of the curing process of bone cement, Figure 1, should be developed if they do not exist. Curing consists of mixing, waiting until the mixture becomes sticky, handling, and hardening. Mixing may be performed manually, with a centrifuge system, or using a vacuum system. Vacuum systems are often used to improve tensile strength and fatigue life of the cement. Vacuum cementing can reduce the potential for BCIS by reducing micro and macro pores in the cement itself. See Figure 2. When the porosity of the cement is decreased, the potential for embolic load of either mechanical or mediator-driven particles, for example, blood, fat, air, bone marrow, also is decreased. Vacuum systems also reduce the curing time, provide a more consistent component mix, and reduce the occupational risks of bone cement vapors. Cement viscosity during the waiting phase should be similar to dough. ideally. The viscosity will be high, that is, stiff, enough to avoid mixing with blood, fat, or debris from the implant area, but low, that is, soft, enough to penetrate the bone adequately. After the cement no longer sticks to the glove or when the cement takes on a dull appearance, it is ready for application. Surgeons should inspect the visual and tactile consistency of the cement when using a cement syringe or cement gun for application by extruding a small amount for testing. Premature insertion of cement when it is still shiny or runny has been associated with decreases in patient blood pressures. Surgeons can add a stem centralizer to the distal end of the femoral prosthesis to help guide it to a neutral position in the cement and cement restrictors or intramedullary plugs to increase penetration of cement into cancellous bone, which provides greater prosthetic stability. Etiology of BCIS Bone cement implantation syndrome is an underreported, potentially fatal complication of cemented arthroplasties. One of the reasons it is not fully reported or understood is that the etiology has not yet fully been established. There are currently five proposed etiological theories, and most of these are based on information gathered from hip arthroplasties. The earliest theory was based on a monomer-mediated model. Two different groups of researchers believe that circulating MMA monomers could cause vasodilation. Initially, vasodilation was theorized to be the basis for cardiopulmonary effects seen in BCIS. However, subsequent animal studies reported that the plasma MMA concentrations seen in cemented hip arthroplasty were insufficient to explain the severity and speed of events seen in BCIS. The second theory is linked to embolic debris that is released during the high pressures of bone cement insertion. The embolic theory is based on autopsy and echocardiographic studies that support the movement of the cement into the vascular compartment. The mechanical pressure needed to place the cement in the surgical site is high and may exceed 300 mercury. Pressure exerted during placement must be greater than the blood pressure so the cement will not be pushed out of the bone. At these higher pressures, the cement achieves greater bone penetration, improves the bone-cement interface, and increases the durability of the prosthesis. The exothermic reaction that occurs as the cement hardens expands the space between the prosthesis and bone, trapping and then pushing air and debris into the circulation. If a cement gun is used, the intramedullary pressures almost double. Medullary lavage before cementation and prosthesis insertion has been shown to significantly reduce the number of emboli. Through autopsy, researchers have confirmed the presence of microemboli in the right atrium, right ventricle, and pulmonary vascular system after cardiac arrest of patients who received bone cement. In a literature summary, Donaldson and others noted that several researchers have observed this phenomenon in animal studies and have analyzed the embolic debris and found cement, fat, air, bone, and platelets. These embolic substances act as a mechanical obstruction to pulmonary gas exchange and trigger the release of cytokines that induce vascular vasoconstriction and the development of pulmonary edema. Emboli may travel to the lungs, heart, or brain by way of pulmonary, coronary, and cerebral circulation. Noticeable embolic showers have been observed using transesophageal echocardiography. They are the most pronounced during the reaming of both femur and acetabulum, prosthesis insertion, and reduction of the joint. The third theory regarding the cause of BCIS focuses on the triggering of the immune system. The clinical presentation of BCIS mimics that of anaphylaxis, which may account for the underreporting of occurrences. In anaphylaxis. Histamine is a key trigger of cardiovascular signs and symptoms. Elevated serum histamine concentrations have been documented in hypotensive patients undergoing cemented hip arthroplasty. However, there are no studies confirming the cause of the histamine release, nor have any studies investigating the effectiveness of pre-treating hip arthroplasty patients with histamine-blocking agents provided a definitive best practice. The fourth theory regarding BCIS etiology, focuses on the complement system, a complex system that is a chemical crosstalk, that is, one system affects another, relating to the coagulation, immune, kinin, and wound healing systems of the body. The complement proteins trigger multiple chemical reactions and are part of the innate immune system. In the case of BCIS, researchers theorize that anaphylatoxins, C3A and C5A result in smooth muscle contraction, histamine release, and increased vascular permeability. Activation of these complement proteins may trigger pulmonary vasoconstriction, desaturation, and systemic hypotension. Increased C3A and C5A levels have been reported in patients receiving cemented hip arthroplasty, but not in patients undergoing non-cemented hip arthroplasty, suggesting The complement system plays a contributing role in BCIS. The final theory of the etiology of BCIS is a multimodal model. This theory incorporates aspects for all of the proposed theories and suggests the monomers that cause vasodilation, foreign substances, and microembolisms released with pressure and immune system activation are contributors to the response a combination of physiological responses combined with the presence of pre-existing comorbidities surgical technique and type of surgery all seem to play a role in the patient response to bone cement the result of BCIS is the same regardless of the cause the pulmonary vasoconstriction or blockage causes the right ventricle to overfill rapidly the pericardium cannot accommodate the rapid filling so the septum between the right and left ventricle shifts. This shift reduces total functional size of the left ventricle, leading to a decrease in cardiac output. This result explains the overall patient presentation of increased right ventricular pressure, decreased cardiac output, decreased coronary perfusion pressure, and cardiac ischemia. Need for perioperative education. A thorough search of the Cumulative Index of Nursing and Allied Health Literature, PubMed, and Cochrane Collection Plus databases failed to produce any perioperative nursing articles related to BCIS. Perioperative departments have a long history of providing continuing education involving high-risk, low-volume surgical emergencies, for example, malignant hyperthermia, surgical fires. Because BCIS is unfamiliar to many nurses in the United States, Perioperative educational opportunities should be created for it, much like they are for other high-risk, low-volume events. Guidelines for practice should be developed by members of professional organizations based on the United Kingdom's National Patient Safety Agency 2009 guidelines for mitigating surgical risk during arthroplasty. Griffiths and others recommend placing emphasis on identifying patients who are at risk and clearly identifying surgical team roles during BCIS. Members of professional organizations and perioperative leaders should consider creating a BCIS risk assessment tool. Sidebar 1 is an example of a proposed simple assessment tool that is patterned after the AORN fire risk assessment tool. An effective teaching strategy that may be used if a facility has access to a simulation laboratory or has time and space for role play is to guide learners through a BCIS patient scenario. This allows the learner to participate in an emergency situation in a safe environment where there is no risk of patient harm. If a facility does not have access to a simulation laboratory or the opportunity for a full BCIS mock drill, the presentation of a case study by a perioperative team member is an effective option. Case studies Are an active learning strategy that foster problem based learning and analytical skills. They are ideally suited for situations in which learners are asked to identify and focus on relevant patient data and then develop interventions based on those data. The learning opportunity, for example, simulation, role play, case study, provided for perioperative nurses and other staff members, should guide the learner through all phases of the patient scenario, including the triggering event initial patient response, deterioration, improving patient response, and recovery. The perioperative nurse also should recognize that although the goal is for the patient to move toward recovery, some patients may progress and regress along the continuum. Case Study This case study has been created from a composite of cases published in the literature. All patients have been de-identified for this example. The objective is to provide a comprehensive description of the identification and management of BCIS and the roles of the perioperative team in the event of cardiopulmonary collapse. Ms. G, a 75-year-old female, is admitted with a right femoral neck fracture after a fall. She is scheduled for a long-stem-cemented right hip hemiarthroplasty to be performed the next morning. Ms. G's past medical history... Includes a cerebrovascular accident three years prior, without sequelae, hypertension, and osteoporosis. She had smoked a pack of cigarettes per day for 50 years, but had quit smoking after the stroke. Her home medications include a diuretic, a beta blocker, warfarin, and a rescue inhaler for asthma. She has no allergy history. Her surgical history includes a previous repair of a fractured radius, cholecystectomy, and three cardiac stents. Laboratory studies and electrocardiogram results are within normal limits. Her vital signs are as follows. Blood pressure, 150 over 88. Heart rate, 68. Respirations, 18. And blood oxygen saturation by pulse oximetry, SpO2, 96%. She is assigned an American Society of Anesthesiologists, ASA, physical status classification, score, of 3 and the surgical plan is to administer a general anesthetic with a fascia iliaca block. The peri-anesthesia nurse and anesthesia professional bring the patient to the pre-anesthesia area, where they connect the monitors to the patient and record baseline vital signs. The anesthesia professional begins an IV infusion of lactated ringer solution and a broad-spectrum antibiotic therapy. The RN circulator comes to the area and verifies allergies with the patient and other members of the team and explains their role, verifies the preoperative checklist, discusses any special patient needs during this period, verifies the family's contact information for communications during the procedure, and confirms the surgeon's markings for laterality. The anesthesia provider evaluates the need for supplemental oxygen devices and prepares for end-tidal carbon dioxide, ETCO2, monitoring. The para-anesthesia nurse administers sedation as directed by the anesthesia professional. Typically, midazolam is used with dose adjustments for age, liver function, and cognitive impairments. The para-anesthesia nurse participates in the timeout for anesthesia block placement and assists the anesthesia professional with the fascia iliaca block. After the block is placed, the RN circulator transports the patient to the OR and assists with maintaining safety during the transfer of the patient to the OR bed. The anesthesia professional then induces general anesthesia, intubates, and mechanically ventilates Ms. g and maintains the anesthetic with a mix of oxygen, air, and sevoflurane. The surgical team uses appropriate positioning aids to finish patient positioning, and the pre-surgical skin antisepsis is completed. The scrub team members drape the patient, and the entire surgical team participates in the timeout. The anesthesia professional and the RN circulator monitor the patient for safety. An hour into the procedure, the surgeon is ready to begin the cement curing process and insert the prosthesis. The RN circulator initiates a pause to ensure the entire operative team is aware that the bone cement process is about to begin. The patient is hemodynamically stable, normothermic, and blood loss is estimated at 100 milliliters. By this time in the procedure, Ms. G has received a total of 1.5 liters of lactated ringer solution. The surgeon inserts the prosthesis, and less than one minute later, the patient's blood pressure drops to 50 over 30, her heart rate drops to 40, etco 2 to 18, and the SBO2 to 80%. The cardiac monitor shows irregular QRS complexes. The anesthesia professional increases the patient's fraction of inspired oxygen to 100% and administers atropine, ephedrine, and a fluid bolus. The RN circulator calls for additional help, for example, another anesthesia professional or RN who excels in IV access, and assists the anesthesia professional in establishing a second IV line and an arterial line. The anesthesia professional administers a bolus of epinephrine through the second IV line. Five minutes after cementation, the patient experiences asystolic cardiac arrest and the perioperative team initiates cardiopulmonary resuscitation. With advanced cardiac life support protocols. The team continues full resuscitation for 15 minutes, at which time Ms. G. experiences a return to spontaneous circulation with a blood pressure of 80 over 30. The anesthesia professional begins a norepinephrine drip and titrates it to maintain a mean arterial blood pressure of 60 millimeters of mercury. The surgeon quickly completes the surgery, and the perioperative team transports Ms. G. directly to the intensive care unit. The intensive care unit team continues supportive treatment, and the patient is tapered off the norepinephrine drip within 8 hours of surgery. Ms. G is extubated the next morning, and her subsequent postoperative course is uneventful. In review, Ms. G exhibited several classic symptoms of BCIS, see sidebar 2, within one minute of cementation. She became hypotensive and hypotoxic, and her ETCO2 acutely dropped. Despite interventions, she progressed to dysrhythmias and then cardiac arrest. Treating BCIS After BCIS has been identified, care of the patient is a multidisciplinary process. Although this case study identifies the anesthesia professional as the primary initiator of these actions, depending on the time of day and availability of help, the RN circulator should be prepared to assist in the establishment of an airway. Obtain or prepare medications and assist in all resuscitative measures. The anesthesia professional should secure an airway and increase the fraction of inspired oxygen to 100%. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation should follow advanced cardiac life support protocols. The anesthesia provider should discontinue any sedatives being administered via continuous infusion, for example, propofol drip, and inhaled nitrous oxide. The anesthesia professional may need invasive monitors and additional access lines for fluid, blood, and medication administration. Laboratory studies may be required to assess acid-base and cardiopulmonary status. Corticosteroids, 5-hydroxytryptamine-3, 5-HT3, receptor antagonists, and histamine receptor blockader have all been used to blunt the mediator histamine-driven components of BCIS. Although there are no published research studies about the treatment of BCIS, available case reports support having the anesthesia professional treat cardiovascular collapse as RV failure and titrate direct-acting alpha-1 agonists, for example, epinephrine and norepinephrine, to achieve hemodynamic stability. The anesthesia professional should remember that giving any sympathomimetics without also addressing pulmonary vasoconstriction could result in a rapidly increased RV pressure and acute RV failure. The anesthesia professional may give positive inotropes to improve ventricular contractibility, vasopressors to improve vasoconstriction, and anticholinergic agents to counteract any mediator-induced vasovagal response. After surviving the initial insult, patients experiencing BCIS usually recover within 24 to 48 hours. However, postoperative monitoring in an intensive care unit is appropriate. Available literature does not appear to show that the choice of anesthetic affects the incidence of BCIS. Several large observational studies in Great Britain and the United States have been consistent in citing no significant difference in anesthetic technique and mortality rates from BCIS. The lack of evidence for best anesthesia practice guidelines suggests a need for additional research to determine the best general or regional anesthetic technique for patients undergoing cemented arthroplasties. Specific actions can be taken to mitigate the risk of patients developing BCIS. These actions by members of specific perioperative teams are based on research completed in the United Kingdom and are listed in Sidebar 3. Perioperative teams may pause for a brief period of time before cementation so that the RN circulator can confirm that all members of the perioperative team are aware that cementation and prosthesis insertion is about to begin and review each team member's role should cardiovascular resuscitation be required. Discussion Patient risk factors and surgical risk factors associated with BCIS are documented in the literature. For the most part, patient risk factors center around poor patient reserves, conditions of increased peripheral vascular resistance, and conditions associated with pulmonary hypertension, for example, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Equally, conditions involving irregular or porous bony surfaces, situations in which there is more material to embolize, for example, previously uninstrumented bone, and opportunities for excessive cement pressure place a patient at higher risk. The entire surgical team should be aware of their roles in reducing the incidence of BCIS. According to multidisciplinary guidelines released in the United Kingdom in 2015, the first step is to identify those patients who are at risk. The patient in this case study had numerous risk factors, age, use of diuretics and warfarin, osteoporosis, a hip fracture, previously uninstrumented femur, and a plan for the use of a long stem prosthesis. Ms. G did not provide a history of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. However, she had a significant smoking history, used an inhaler, and had notable vascular disease. Although the patient in this case study had several risk factors, the anesthesia team decided to start the procedure using a non-invasive blood pressure cuff and one IV for venous access, rather than mitigating the risk by placing arterial and central venous lines. Conclusion Bone cement implantation syndrome is a rare, severe complication of cemented bone surgery. With any emergent situation, the key to optimizing patient outcomes during BCIS is rapid recognition and aggressive intervention by the entire perioperative team. Perioperative nurses should expand their knowledge about bone cement and BCIS, institute and participate in a pause before cementation, and heighten their vigilance during cemented bone surgery to promote better patient outcomes in the event of cardiopulmonary compromise.